We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming at you Thursday afternoon, it's March 30th. Not today's show, I'm joined by Britt Robson from MinPost to talk about where the Wolves are at right now. Uh, obviously, touching on the loss in Phoenix on Wednesday night, but also I think weaving that into the kind of greater story of what these last week and a half or so have been, uh, which is, you know, what, what the team has is kind of becoming now that they have Carl Anthony Towns back. We're understanding what at least they seem uh, they want to be. Britt, you wrote about that largely in your column uh, today. I think it's coming out uh, Friday morning, focusing on the basketball of these last five games, the winning streak, and then the loss on Wednesday. Kind of before you brought up the officiating uh, in the game and the commentary from Chris Finch and Rudy Gobert post-game. I mean, I, I... Personally, don't want to dwell on the officiating forever in this episode. I know you're you're with that too, but I do uh, I do want to start. Yeah, you there. have no choice. I mean, right. you know, when uh, the 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 guy who you know you've you've put the future of the franchise on basically says the league is fixed. You kind of have to say something about it. Yeah, you, you kind of do. And <laughs> I, I mean, again, yeah, I, I guess I kind of have a theory of why not just with the wolves, but kind of league wide, this is. I don't know, turned into a real narrative. Um, but I'm, yeah, I, I, let's start with you kind of summarizing what, what you put in your column on the piece or just what, what your thoughts are on why this officiating narrative is, is taking hold in the Wolves fan base, but also in the NBA at large. Yeah, I mean, first I'll give the argument that justifies Gobert's comments so insofar as they are justifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of bad calls last night. Um, I think even more than bad calls, the officiating from the first half to the second half was like a totally different crew. And I think that is, uh, you know, you always hear the cliche. It's a cliche because it is somewhat of a truism. Players will adjust if you are calling the game consistently. I mean, if they know it's going to go a certain way, then that's the way they will play. Mm -hmm. Well, all of a sudden, a lot of especially screens that were fine in the first half were not fine in the second half. And I think that inconsistency is irksome 
to yeah. a player. I mean, if if you've performed a certain way under certain rules for a half of basketball, and all of a sudden you're performing a different set of rules in the second half, then that's irksome. Uh, I would also say that Gobert got some bad calls. I think the most egregious one was when he was supposedly following Devin Booker down on the rim when he was isolated. The Wolves did a great job of getting him isolated on Booker. He's 7'1", Booker's 6'5". Uh, he just turned around. Yeah, there was a little bit of a chicken wing on his part uh, that Booker you know, made, had to step back one step. I mean, it was not for play in the paint. It was not egregious. Uh, the announcers correctly sussed it out when they said it's a big man's bias. You know, if if the player he nudged would have been seven feet, there would have been no whistle. Um, the fact that it was Booker, the fact that it was something Rudy could have turned around and just laid the ball in probably without resistance anyway. But he had no way of knowing that at the time his back was to him when he made the play. It was a bad call. Uh, there were a couple of others that I thought were good calls. I think that his legal screening, he forgets. Uh, and I say this in the piece too. I think Rudy Gobert is one of the handsiest players I've seen in the NBA. The fact that he's playing for the Wolves now, and I see him 100% of his games rather than like 20% of his games. Uh, he pushes people a lot. He pushes people who have their back to him on pick and rolls. Uh, he pushes people who are trying to get through him rather than just absorbing the contact. He kind of knows they're coming at him, and so he will cushion the blow by pushing them. Um, so, And there was some of that the other night. Uh, Phoenix has a couple of guys, Josh Okoge and Bismarck Biombo, who were grinders, who were meant to get under your skin by being relentless. You know, the Wolves had that with Pat Bev and Vando last year. You know the style. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you let them get under your skin. Then the other thing that kind of justifies Gobert's thing, it's the end of a road trip, pressure-packed series for over a week. Everything's on edge. you got to win every game, you know, to improve. If they won last night, there was a very good chance they could probably avoid the play-in. Uh, or at the very least, host a play-in game. Now, both of those things are more in doubt. Um, and the flu is running rampant throughout the team. And and when that happens, you know, when you know you're you're shorthanded, you know, two of the guys are on the court with you and, and slow-mo are really hurting from the flu. They both were questionable before the game. Yeah, I think Conley, uh, too. Conley, okay. and. Torian Prince obviously really yep. has it bad. So, you know, all that saps your patience for this kind of bullshit. Uh, so I'll grant them all of that. But you cannot say that the league is fixed. And you can't, I mean, not only can't you do that uh, eloquently, but you can't say, on the one hand, the league wanted Sacramento to win the other night and then say it's a market thing. Or you can't say that, you know, all the stars are, you know, uh, doing this, conspiring to do this when 
the two guys who have the most techs in the league this year are Draymond Green and Luka Doncic. Both really big stars for big market teams. So there's not a lot of sense to it. And the severity of the charge is toxic. The severity of the charge, you're basically saying this, we might as well not even play these games to the fullest because we are going to get screwed in the end. Uh, if that's your attitude, uh, and that's the attitude of your fan base, what are we doing here? You know, right. I, I think there is an inflection point. There's something behind that. And this is this is my opinion and this is my conspiracy theory on the conspiracy theory mm -hmm. is the Tim Donahue documentary. Mm -hmm. That came out this fall and it's on Netflix. It's easily accessible, as about easily accessible as you could get for a documentary on the streaming app that is most used by people everywhere. Fans coaches, players, probably particularly players in their early 20s. And I remember when the Scotty Barnes thing happened, was that about a month ago, right? And subsequently, it's the next game that Fred Van Vliet goes off on Ben Taylor, right? But the first, the first thing was it started the fire for the Raptors was Scotty Barnes saying to Scott Foster that you're cheating. And that gets him ejected from the game. And if you've seen the documentary, it's very much implied that Scott Foster was in cahoots with, with Tim Donahue. And I think, again, players, fan base, fan bases have, have seen this. And probably, you know, probably Scotty Barnes, who's what, 21 years old, right. he probably wasn't tracking closely what was going on with Tim Donahue when this actually all went down in the early 2000s because Scotty Barnes was like two years old. It's now on his radar with like details and and consumed in a, in a documentary that kind of becomes, you know, the truth, his understanding of the truth or players understanding of the truth. And I think that's created this narrative that has started going that players feel empowered. Right. I mean, and at times, I mean, to look at the Toronto example, I think arguably rightfully so, but they're using this idea idea that the refs are fraudulent because they now have proof that they've seen and consumed that that is true that it's i don't know it just feels to me like with the referees there's more behind this a stronger narrative in the players and coaches mind that something is going on here that it's 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 caught fire it, it's totally caught fire and i think you you put that together with the documentary coming out in the fall players probably watching it in the fall and winter, right? When in the first season that sports betting has been really, really proliferated in our country and players, because I'm not even saying like refs are in cahoots with DraftKings or whatever, but I think players now better know what sports gambling is because you can't turn your TV right. on without an ad. You probably, a lot of people don't know what a point spread is, what, how to cover, what a money line is, you know, what a player prop is. That's all in our culture, sports culture, so much more, along with this really incriminating documentary that tons and tons of people have seen. And then the officiating itself probably isn't as good as it has been in recent no, times for, for one reason or the other. And you throw that all into this pile and you have a steaming dumpster fire of narrative here that even in a game, like I think, 
I don't think Rudy going off on the refs last night is is necessarily crazy. I don't think it was probably the most egregious game that they felt shorted. I think the Boston game, the Chicago game, a couple well, weeks the, back. The Boston game was absurd. I mean, the, the Boston, Boston game was game, absurd. But he kind of like the pressed worst it down. Game I've seen live. Exactly, and so I think that was kind of repressed, right? And then it comes out. You know, it it comes out now after after this game here, and it's it's yeah, it's just letting it spill all over the place, not without merit. But I I to me, I've been thinking about that since the Scotty Barnes thing happened, and I really feel this narrative is stronger than ever. And I I put a lot. I think that is a lot of the the force behind it here. That doesn't solve anything. Uh, in terms of what the calls were last night or will be in going fact, forward. In fact, it does the opposite of solves it. If there is enough, if there is a even a 10, 20% of the players, coaches think that there's a chance of this happening, mm-hmm. basketball's already a hugely emotional game. It's getting harder and harder to ref. I mean, you left out the fact that the players are getting better at yeah. being nuanced and screwing with people's judgment on the calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, flopping. When was the last time somebody got suspended or called out for flopping? Remember yeah. when that was the thing? It was supposed to be a thing. You know? That went the way of conduct fines, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, again, it's and, – and for that matter, and I say this in the column too, at least I think it's still left in – is that essentially uh, there also needs to be some state of accountability. They give you the two-minute report, but they don't say, and therefore, so-and-so ref lost $5,000 or whatever, you know? But I think think fans want a pound of flesh that is not unreasonable for them to want that because – if a player does something egregiously wrong, yeah. they get hit and everybody knows it. Well, if a ref does something egregiously wrong, like when Manzetti ran out onto the court right before an awful jump ball, well, you know, those Manzetti, three refs. Missoula, Missoula. Like Missoula. Yeah. Manzetti, that's probably some okay. kind of spaghetti sauce I used to eat. But uh, anyway. It it seems like uh, there needs to be an avowed accountability to what happens because in the absence of that, all you all you, all we know is that the the worst refs don't get invited to the postseason. Yep. that's about the only sign, or maybe they disappear after a year or two or three. No, but those, but those we, stats are out there of like how many years officials have been in the league versus how many playoff series they get versus how many right you know finals appearances they get that's yeah, how they have power rank. yeah right, right. Mm-hmm. no no yeah and, it's, and, it's not- and you don't know if you know i mean let's say somebody who's had a really good six-year run suddenly is having a terrible seventh year mm-hmm. i mean we know that about players yeah true and so, they're, they're people too right like Things yeah. could be happening in their own life that make them worse at judgment calls, which is right. the entirety of the profession. I, I don't know, man. So yeah, it's 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 it's. I don't think there's any question. Anybody who really and I ha- I follow all major sports uh, to some degree, major team sports. This is the toughest sport 
by a country mile to referee properly. Uh, everything is this this contact on every play. Yeah. Uh, there is the largest uh, athletes and among the fastest athletes, probably the best overall in terms of athleticism mm -hmm. athletes, uh, flying all over the place from all kinds of angles. The focus of attention can shift 40 feet in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, what's happening 30 other feet away could be something that's hindering the play in another way. Um, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to ride herd on the game. And then you add on to that, how much do you want to ride herd on the game? How much do you want to call everything? It's like the interior line in football, you know? How much holding do you want to call? How much uh, unnecessary roughness or spearing or, you know, whatever. But this, in this case, it isn't, you know, 40 plays a game separated by, you know, a minute and a half of standing around getting your bearings. This is bang, 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 up and down, you know, for maybe six or seven possessions at a time mm -hmm. before, you know, something, a ball goes out of bounds or a whistle happens or whatever. Uh, it's it's tough. And I, it's tough I, I the get the... I get the the concept that it's that it is difficult, um, and and I understand the frustration from that, right? From from the player's perspective, that it does feel, and to my eye test, looks inconsistent. I I just think those have been truths for a long time here, and right. I am feeling a very different narrative that is surrounding those two truths that have been a part of every season, and and I think that's concerning. I think that's the, this narrative around the officials actually being cheats, true or false, is has the potential to be extremely problematic in the playoffs. Like to the point where we have a real blow up, something happens. And, right. and to me, that not in a good way, but that's the most interesting part of all this because that's what's different to me than, I mean, yeah, I've been covering the league for a while now. You've been covering it for a really long time. This it's never been like this before. And and I'm looking for the why behind that, in addition to the athletes being great and it being a a hard sport to officiate. Those to me are the known variables. What are the well, new Well, I mean, I, I think when it comes to the why, the answer is the answer is always there, which is money. Um, you know, I mean, there's a phenomenal amount of money in the game, and there's even more money around the game. Mm -hmm. And so the money in the concentric circle around the game, most specifically gambling, as you mentioned, but also endorsements. Uh, or or know. just the idea of it is a fact that if the Lakers are in the playoffs, the NBA will make a lot more money. That Those, mm -hmm. those are like proven right. out facts of, of all of this. And, and so that's why, like, that's why Rudy says what he says, because it's not like there isn't a truth behind the idea that the NBA benefits or is hurt by certain teams being in the mix. Um, it's just a whole nother step to say that they are proactively doing things to get there. And it's it's complicated by the fact that we now have some truth or some evidence from the Donahue right. situation that, you know, make that more 
easy to to latch on to. But if I keep coming back to the idea that if you believe that, what are we doing here? I mean, why the league, if, if you want to flirt with that concept to the point where you make it a running narrative, you'll lose people. Mm. You'll lose people either because the paranoia will drive you crazy or they will convince you that that is exactly what's happening, in which case I'm not here for pro wrestling. You know, I'm not around for the Kabuki theater. You know, I am here to watch honest competition. And if the competition, if somebody convinces me that the competition isn't honestly rendered, Mm. then I'm out. And I think that's the problem is a lot of people now are thinking that they do not think the competition is is fair. And, 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 and in my opinion, that is a huge overreaction. Yeah, I, I mean, that that is my opinion uh, as well. Uh, I don't think we maybe have the same uh, emotional connection to the result that a Lakers fan would have. Well, you know, when we're turning on a Lakers game or even a Wolves game of the, the team we cover. I, and I don't want to tell people that any emotion they have is wrong. I'm more curious as to what is going into that, you know, and there's always an element of fandom that, you know, Fan is short for fanatic, blah, 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 all that. Um, but I do respect the fan base, and I'm hearing more outrage than I ever have uh, before. And to me, that requires some sort of recourse here. I'm not smart enough to know what that is, but something needs to change so as to, at a minimum, stomp out the narrative that is leading people to believe that there is disjointed levels of competition and we can keep bringing this up i guess throughout the the course of talking about last night's game but let's uh let's grab our first break here today's show is brought to you by land and lore and the people at land and lore wanted me to tell you that they get tired super tired tired of always looking like but life hits hard their dads with kids that don't sleep and with wives that are constantly mad at them for things they didn't realize they did plus maybe they stayed up all night rewatching last year's playing game versus the clippers because it's thus far the highlight of their adult lives But what's worse than feeling like is looking like it, because when you look like everyone can see it and no matter how much coffee or Celsius they inhale, they still walk into work looking like cave dwellers. That's why Land and Lore, they created the energy drink for your face. So no matter how you feel, you don't have to look like it. What's even better because they love the Timberwolves is they're giving fans 20% off the brand. Just go to Amazon.com and search for Land and Lore face products and use promo code 20 Antman to get 20% off. Land and Lore, proven to help you look awake no matter how long of a bender you've been on. Today's show is brought to you by Aura. You've seen Aura's brand plastered all over Timberwolves games and broadcasts from the jersey patch to the brand's name being in the background of all the press conferences. And from that, you probably know that Aura is a digital security company, but you might not know what it actually functionally looks like to use a digital security company. That's why Aura would love for you to try their product out and to try it for free. If you go to Aura.com slash Dane and use that exact URL, A-U-R-A dot com slash Dane, Aura will give you, as Wolves fans, a two-week free trial of their product. You might be thinking that you don't need to have your personal information protected, and even more, you might feel like that's something you can't afford right now. So I think this is a good way to try it out, figure out if this is a product that is for you. Because again, you can try it for free. So familiarize yourself with Aura by starting a two-week trial at aura.com slash Dane. 
Many of you do a great job of supporting advertisers on this show, which I'm really grateful for, as that's what makes this podcast happen. Would love for you to check out Aura's digital security. Again, aura.com slash Dane. All right, we are back with Britt Robson. Britt, you want to talk about basketball? <laughs> talk sure. about what's, be nice. yeah. what's, uh, Is it worth it to talk about basketball? I think so. I, I mean... I do too. Yeah. I mean, I, and that that's my point. I mean, just to put the nail down on this, uh, if you really believe that the refs are fixing games, go watch something else. Don't waste your time. Otherwise, I think you don't really believe it. I think you're being performative on behalf of your team. So, you know, it, it, it perhaps you might suspect something and you might want to keep finding out whether or not there is anything behind that. But to bring up, you know, a decades old evidence mm-hmm. by which somebody did get punished for it and other people been punished and the refs, same thing on the uh, flight, you know, miles thing, they got dinged for that. And the fact that, if the league is in fact fixed, imagine the fallout because it will come out. Yeah. Why wouldn't it come out? Also, why wouldn't there be corruption in the NBA? There's corruption in all other industry, right? Like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm with you a hundred percent that the answer is checking out. I think that is a simplified answer. I think what a lot of the fan base wants to do is search for accountability, right? Or fan bases, league-wide fan base wants to search for uh-huh. accountability and and lead to some sort of change in the refereeing pecking. I don't think we have a great idea or any great uh, strategies for how to change it, but I think the outpouring of disgust is is about wanting something to change, at least the more rational uh, pursuits right. of that. Um, I. I don't know what that is, and I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen in the last five games of the regular season or in this postseason. And I think it's like anything else, it change in any sport. Rules are evolved, protocols are put in place. And in today's day and age, when you, the NBA, have committed to being a betting partner to other to right. betting. I know. Things. I I've always disagreed with that, but, and, but I, that, I just feel like that's an old guy's perspective, you know. Well, it's just I mean, it's just a reality of the situation. It it right. is. They have they have signed on, they've been committed to it, and thus they hold a responsibility to to have checks and balances, real ones, and also some public relations responsibility in terms of being able to better manage narrative. Maybe there needs to be Maybe the decades-old pool report we've done, maybe that needs to be evolved. Maybe there needs to be a more public way that that refs are being tracked. Maybe there needs to be, maybe the players need to be held more accountable. I mean, a lot of this, again, started with Fred Van Vliet. Ben Taylor will forever be viewed by the NBA fan base at large as a shit ref because Fred Van Vliet repeatedly said his name and people got behind that. And Fred Van Vliet only got fined $35,000 for that. So right. I'm not saying Fred v- Van Vliet was in the wrong. But if Fred Van, v- Van Vliet created a narrative that has become toxic to the league, then and you need to stamp that out as the NBA, then you might need to hold players more accountable 
for doing that, which leads me to be very curious to segue back into the Timberwolves, how they handle this Rudy Gobert thing. Because right. he said it. He said it on the record. It's in the Star Tribune. I haven't seen any video of it there. I wasn't in Phoenix last night. I haven't seen anything on the YouTube channel. That might be uh, a, a plan. So as to not have that yeah. out there in that sort of way. Um, but I think we are going to see the league have to make changes and, and have some more accountability on themselves and probably a little bit more accountability um, on the players there too. But let's move on. Let's. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad yeah. we extended this. I think, mm-hmm. I think you spoke eloquently and you're less knee jerk reaction than I am to this. I, I'm just, I hate this stuff. And, uh, and I just, I feel like it is up to the league to police itself. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then they deserve their own demise. But, there is more nuance to it, and I'm glad you explored it. Uh, what's the what's the nuance of Timberwolves basketball these uh, last five games? You got the four game <laughs> winning streak, uh, yeah. followed up with a, a loss in Phoenix uh, that you know felt and way schedule losses in the right way to put it. But you go into that game and you just see Wolves players popping up over oh, and yeah. over again on the injury report over the course of the day. Illness, illness, illness. I mean, it right. sets it up to be a game with Kevin Durant coming back. That you almost expect and, them to lose, but then they had they the lead. Played really well. They played. Right. They they played well. So yeah, I don't know. Let's uh, maybe work backwards. Talk about the Phoenix game. What happened in that game, and, and what was maybe different in that game compared to the previous couple games? Well, once again, Carl uh, Anthony Towns is not uh, a weight on the defense right now. He is not somebody who is getting singled out. The times when Towns is most noticeably uh, sticking out for perhaps being a flawed defender seems to be when he's on the court with Nas, which makes total sense since neither one of them are like incredibly, their, their organic grasp of defense, neither one is really good at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not bad in terms of limited vision defense but in terms of a global concept of how to play team defense neither one are fantastic about it uh but in the meanwhile if you surround cat with good defenders particularly guards who stay on the ball and rudy stays doing the things he does so well which has good instincts he knows where to go and how to cover it and how fast um you can get away with Cat on the floor, chipping in, you know, the way Fitch has got things set up, I think the movement, he doesn't have to move great distances usually. Switching is often involved. Mm-hmm. Um, assignments are often, you know, well-structured. Uh, I have been surprised. You know, this is something I've harped on from the beginning, is yeah. I don't see how the Wolves use Cat as a non-center in a quality defense in the modern NBA. And he played Golden State and, you know, that they held Golden State to under 100 points first time in 43 games with a historically great shooting backcourt. Uh, space and pace was invented more or less by the Warriors. Uh, and I know it's not all scheme and it's not all at being the guy or whatever, but I have been impressed with the way that this team has been able to play defense, it's not as good as the classic drop they were doing with Rudy at the beginning of the year, at least not in terms of efficiency, but 
it is consistent with what Finch wants to do in terms of on-ball pressure and points off turnovers. And in my opinion, more importantly, it does jumpstart the offense in terms of it being something where players are engaged and active at both ends of the court. I've been really impressed by that, and it's given me a lot more hope for this team and this grand experiment than I've had in quite some time. It's interesting to me, right? We've got we've had four games since Cat has been back. Um, you know, he plays in in the first two of those. Uh, Amp plays in the second, third, and fourth, or second and third, and then they both play in the fourth. And the fourth game is the Phoenix game last night, and and it was a lot more of the baton passing, uh, individual offensive show, right? Yeah, yeah, that was too bad. And and I think that that's the interesting thing to compare against what the previous games were, which Jason and I were talking about yesterday about how the ball movement and the regulation of Conley and Anderson seemed to so, you know, dramatically make this make more sense in in, in terms of offense. And in those games when the Wolves were winning and they had more ball movement, Ant and Cat were sick, coming back from injury, and just not playing well offensively, not playing right. efficiently. And then last night against Phoenix, they individually play significantly more efficiently, though the ball movement and the regulation of Conley and Anderson drop down in a major way and you lose. I think that the hope is that you can fuse those together, right? That you can have that ball movement identity, the flow that Finch wants, a more equal offense, that the most advantageous play is in that given possession is is the one you go to. And you hope those fuse together. I'm trying to figure out why last night it got away from that. And and was that Cat just being back together? Was that Conley and Anderson being sick and not being able to do as much? Uh, what's your theory? My theory is that uh, Monty Anderson, Monty Anderson, <laughs> Monty Williams is a really good coach, yeah. and Josh Okogi and Bismarck Biombo are elite disruptors, and that the officiating was spotty, and that all of those things combined to Ant and Cat are both people who feel like their force of will is the proper response to adversity. Mm. And I think that particularly Cat in the fourth quarter, we saw the old Cat begin to say, you know, to the point where he was barreling down for a one-on-three, two-pointer, down six with 30 seconds left. So, you know, I, I do think that Cat has a tendency to lose perspective when he feels like he needs to be in hero ball mode. Uh, so what do you think then the likelihood of Friday when they play the Lakers is that you you do go back to that more flow style offense versus force of will? Because I think we could, you know, we could say it could go either way. But what is your belief that it could go the better way, which is kind of mixing this all in together? situational force of will, but overall ball movement and flow. I'm very optimistic about the offense. Mm -hmm. uh, I really do think that, uh, in fact, I was shocked to see they were still in the 20s for the month of March. I mean, that just, it certainly doesn't feel like it to me. Mm -hmm. I know they had some, you know, 
bad games at the beginning of the month. But uh, I think a big part of that is, or even in just the, the time that Cat's been back, is they had a really bad offensive game against Golden State, but were, that's true. But were right. actually really good defensively. Right. So that was they, a weird so game. Won. It was a right. weird game, yeah. Uh, but I do think that you've got three ball handlers who are legitimately elite in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio in uh, slow-mo, uh, Conley, and J-Mac. And Those stats you put in the column were like, wow. Yeah. I mean, Finch is, you know, I don't know if they're still there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the version I was I had to, I had to really cut it because I, then I wrote about the officiating. I wanted to get it done in like 300 words, and of course it didn't take that. Fail. So anyway, <laughs> bottom line, that. Suffice to say that all have assist-to-turnover ratios like better than four to one. Mm-hmm. When you have three guys on your roster that are doing that at that rate. And the guys uh, that you want to be doing that, too, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. sometimes you could be like, like, it wouldn't matter to me that much if Nas Reed had a four to one assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah, you know because what it I mean? would be yeah. eight to two. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These are the these are your top three assist guys. Mm-hmm. And what and, and I, I another thing I'm sure got cut. Uh, I'm sure these got cut. But Ant was was going one to one for quite a while, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden for the month of March he's like forty two assists, twenty four turnovers. Uh, so and and Rudy had like more turnovers than assists for the it still does for this season. But he's doubled his assist rate per game in March while holding his turnovers the same. If you have, which is all to say that if you have the either the hockey assist guy or the assist guy be one of the three really smart ball movement people mm-hmm. on your team, then your offense is going to hum. Right. And I can see that happening. The way it doesn't hum is if you have really disruptive defenders who don't really disrupt the three guys we just mentioned, but disrupt the Cats and the Ants and the McDaniels and the Rudys to the point where they get flustered and turn the ball over. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think, I guess the point I have, the reason I am suddenly optimistic about this team is because I see light at the end of the tunnel on two tunnels I thought were a lot longer than they are right now. Hmm. And one of them is the can they cover space on defense tunnel, and the other is can they play efficiently without turnovers and still fly around. And I see both of those as distinct possibilities. I mean, it is extremely encouraging and again phoenix game notwithstanding they had 21 turnovers though so many of those were a like a lot of moving illegal screens, screens. Right. yeah uh but I, I remember looking at it on wednesday afternoon prior to to the game and the, in the since conley has been here time since the trade deadline the wolves are like middle of the pack in terms of turnover frequency they was 17th yesterday before the game and but also in that time second in total passes per game and and typically, like you look at it, the teams that pass the most are the ones who turn it over the most. Golden State is that in a major way. Golden State is the team who has the most passes in the league this year and the second worst turnover ratio. Those things kind of go together. 
And, and so for the Wolves to even be middle of the pack, when in this time they're second in the league in passes per game, is actually a pretty big win in terms of, you know, getting to what they want to get to without the negative externalities that, you know, that come with it. And it's just an interesting sort of thing to thread here where this team clearly needs to play lower turnover basketball because they have a low margin for error in general, just given the weird roster. Um, but also need to pass the ball a lot to get into this ball movement flow type of thing that that I think kind of everyone believes is is the way to go with this roster. And and you want a bigger win? Yes. The Wolves have given up the second fewest points mm. off turnovers per game in the month of March. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, the second most passes and the second fewest points. Yeah, off turnovers, yeah. I mean, some of that has obviously got to be luck. But <laughs> but also, you know, I so think different than the beginning of the season, too, right? <laughs> like they were getting yeah. cooked whenever the other team went in transition. It was a free two points. Right. So I think a lot of it is the fact that they are active. Uh, you know, you don't see them just getting those those crippling runs mm. that were like a normal part of this team for yeah. months on end have been dramatically limited. Uh, you know, these 16 to 2 runs, these, you know, 11 0 runs in a blink of an eye kind of thing. There was a little of that in Phoenix, but some of that, again, and some of this comes back to composure too, which is another reason the Gobert comment bothered me because the way you support your teammate now is to think that the refs are fixed, you know? Right. Uh, so it is a situation where. I am impressed. First of all, I like an active style of basketball. And for about six weeks when Gobert first arrived, I was bored to tears. I mean, it was just, you know, if he caught the ball and he managed to turn around with the ball, he might have a chance of putting the ball in the basket, but maybe not. And then meanwhile, you know, that's that possession. You know, it's like, there wasn't the beauty of basketball and basketball. And now he's a part of so, at least some beautiful Wolves offense. Yes, he session. is. Yeah. He, and, and, you know, and, and that's on Conley. I mean, you could tell that it's, it's like uh, somebody who reads murder mysteries and all anybody can do is talk about the movies that the books you read have been made out of, you know, and, you know, you just, and, like, and like they're, the raving, documentary. And they're <laughs> raving about them, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you're thinking, they use like maybe a fifth of the book here, you know, right. and then somebody walks in the door that reads books, reads the same books you do. And, and you can have a so much more invigorating conversation that includes not only all the information that's in the movie, but all the things in the book that aren't in the movie. Right. And that's Gobert and Conley and Slow-Mo for that matter. I mean, they've read the book on what it takes to play basketball in a nuanced team fashion. The the book club. Rudy, Mike, <laughs> Kyle, and Jordan. Yeah. Tim Rose Book Club. Try yeah. recruiting other members before the playoffs. <laughs> it's uh yeah. No, I mean it Rudy. Again, last night notwithstanding, I mean, and I feel like we've been saying this a lot when we've been talking. It's it's just been getting to be more and more 
cleaner and cleaner and and it makes he is making more sense in so many more lineup combinations yep. uh than before and we you know actually let's grab a break i i, I want to talk about okay. nas too and i know that i yeah. am uh personally incapable of doing that for like shorter than five minutes so hey i'm with you we'll take actually let's uh let's plug the uh the falling knife event here quick okay um, april 6th so that's I guess that's a week from today as we're recording this Ooh. on Thursday afternoon. All right. uh, kind of, Good thing I'm out of falling knife in my fridge. There we go. We'll, we'll restock <laughs> you up. Um, yeah, I think kind of great timing as this has come together. Kyle's been like texting me daily over the course of the past month of like, man, are we going to really be doing this? And the Wolves are going to be like the 11th seed of the play. Which I guess that's we can't rule that out either. Now that's it's still or very, very. What about the fifth seed? I know. It's, so it'll be whatever it is. It's going to be fun uh, to get the, together with uh, Wolves fans in person. You know, have some beers, take some questions. I'm sure I know for a fact that people have been listening to what you and I talked about at, off the top of this episode. And maybe I don't. I'm sure some people took it as me pouring water on the officiating situation. So if you have questions and stuff like that that you want to ask us and you disagree well, if you're with pouring somebody, water, I'm pouring acid. So, well, you know, that's that's always kind of been <laughs> your drug. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice segue. Uh, well, the drug uh, at Falling Knife, however, will be uh, beer. Um, we'll, we'll be at Falling Knife uh, Thursday, April 6th. And um, we're going to start recording at, at 7 p.m. Um, the the twins have their home opener that day, so I, I'm planning on getting there uh, well in advance of that. People want to come after work or just come to watch uh, the twins game too. I'll be there. Kyle will be there. Britt will be there. We'll do a live show at seven, and we'll talk about where the heck this team is uh, going into the very very final push of the regular season and into the playing and playoffs. So again, Falling Night Brewing Company, uh, see us there on April sixth, and if you're looking for a place to watch these games. Uh, they have live watch shows uh, for every single every single one of these Wolves games. So check it out maybe on Friday if you don't have tickets to the game. Uh, that's Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. Britt, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and close this out. Talk some Nas. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app. And Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I feel like I'm stressed every time I'm wanting to buy tickets to a Twins game or a concert in town. And I'm stressed because... I don't know if I'm getting a good deal or not. And with the Game Time app, I feel confident, even if it's last minute, that I've purchased my tickets at a fair rate. And that's because of their best price guarantee. So if you're looking for tickets to one of these final Wolves home games, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're good. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so no need to dig through your emails. So snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code DaneMore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Today's show is sponsored by Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shade Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn, durable frames, and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. It's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, 
They told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com, use promo code DaneMore for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 20,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, back with Britt Robson for a final segment. But we were talking uh, before the break about Rudy Gobert making sense in more lineup combinations. And I think the most glaring specific two-man pairing fitting into a lineup combination is Nas with another center working. Uh, it's worked with Cat. It's worked with Rudy um, in, in situations. And I think a, a lot of that ties into what we were just talking about. Rudy's comfort, the overall comfort of, of ball movement and an egalitarian. And Nas's comfort. And Nas's comfort has kind of like fit um, right into that. Again, we're recording this on late afternoon on Thursday. Don't have any word on, on his injury uh, oh, yeah, to his right. wrist. Uh, I, I mean, just because he stayed out there and continued to play after he crashed down on it and was holding it doesn't necessarily give me, you know, great hope that he's going right. to be uh, back and able to play. I mean, I'm, I would assume he's getting MRIs and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, knock on wood, he's he's fine and everything. Right. Uh, he has been a real critical piece to this. And I think, I, I don't know, really has kind of, fit into everything else that the Wolves have been doing well that kind of enables him to fit. And then his own individual like acclimation has been kind of next level too. He's one of the players I just feel like possession to possession, I believe in most on this team, almost on both sides of the ball. I mean, like in coverage, he's a little funky defensively, but watching him on KD, uh, watch him chase Kevin Herter in the Kings game. I mean, it's it's been 
as special of a Nas Reed run as we've seen ever. The, the, it's been the most special Nas Reed run of his career. And I think when I said the whole thing about Nas, when you were talking about Rudy being more comfortable, Finch is the one that just said right out loud, he's a confidence guy. Because, you know, I was kind of, I think I asked him a question at the time, Nas missed one or two shots, and then he was trash for the rest of the game. I didn't say it quite that way. But what do you do in that kind of circumstance? And he said Nas is a confidence player. Yep. And, and well, what happens if instead of just praising Nas for the great games he happens to get into, you tell him that he is now a part of your rotation moving forward. And instead of having to think about finding a whole new niche somewhere else on some other team, he's suddenly working with the idea of staying in this locker room at a number he's got in the back of his head and being a part of the firmament with these guys that, I mean, he and McDaniels, have I think two summers in a row, you know, worked together. Yep. And him and J Mac have a bond that, you know, is so evident on the court. And then just the whole, even if he doesn't wind up staying here, the affirmation of getting the team to admit that he should have been in the rotation all along, uh, that is what he is surfing right now. Mm -hmm. And I hope that he's got enough uh, momentum behind it and that his those little bones in your wrist that are so easily broken when that happens to you, what happened to him last night. It's happened to Carl twice. Broke don't his happen wrist both to time. him. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, if he can keep that otherworldly confidence up, uh, I mean – he got absolutely embarrassed by Biombo on the first shot he took. Uh, Aiden. It was Aiden. Yeah. Oh, it was Aiden. That's right. Yep. Oh, that's right. It was Aiden. And then he went right back at Aiden. Talked some shit. And, you know, yep. strut a little bit, you know. And But it was the fact that he went back so quickly. It wasn't his second shot, but it was his third shot, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, was that, again, that you're just saying to yourself, Nas is, does not feel like he's stoppable right now. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, what's one or two blocks? He got snuffed a couple of times, but didn't seem to phase him. If he is indeed a confidence player, and we've seen the tools that he's been unpacking, particularly his handle, uh, if 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 the confidence and the ability line up in a manner that seems even remotely sustainable. And this is not a Nas Reed boomlet, but a Nas Reed ascension. And maybe it's peaking, but maybe the secondary part of this ascension is still a damn good ball player. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, then then you got like the the whole uh, you know, you unwrap the box of Ant, that's the great prize you knew you had. Then you unwrap the box of McDaniels, you thought it would be pretty good, turns out to be really good. And then you unwrap this box from your aunt who always gives you a, a tie or something. And that turns out to be really good. And that's the Nas box, yeah. you know? Let me, uh, okay, so let's say that that's, if the pairing of Nas and Cat was an F previously, prior to Cat's yeah. return, and the, and the grade of 
Nas and Rudy was an F prior. Or D minus, right. Okay, let's say D minuses. If they were D minuses. it was better than Cat. <laughs> okay, so it was an F with Cat. It was a D minus with Rudy. Where are those grades now? Ooh. Uh, I think that they are a B with Cat and an A minus with Rudy. I think at least prior to the last game, the just the raw like plus minus net rating or whatever was better with Cat. But I, I I agree with I agree with that too. We're like way too small small of a sample or a, a run here or a run well, there. Well, I just I don't trust Cat and Rudy on defense. I just don't. Uh, wait wait uh, wait wait wait. Cat and Nas on defense, you don't trust. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Cat and Nas. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Good good catch. Yeah, I don't. I just I don't think that uh, smart offenses. Um, Put it this way, if they're on the court in crunch time and Rudy isn't on the court, I'm nervous. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't know if they can get a stop. Uh, you know, they're both kind of foul prone. They both are, they both, mental judo can be used against them. People use their yeah. aggressiveness. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, I can't remember which player gave Nas an up fake. I think it was the last game. Might have been the game before. Yeah, he, you know, yeah. Tried to do the I verticality mean, thing and got the end one. <laughs> yeah. yeah but Bismarck Biabo gets you out of your shoes, man. That's not a good sign. But, you know, which isn't to say, you know, I, 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 I'm telling myself I need to be a little bit more charitable toward Nas before he continues to embarrass me. So, uh, <laughs> Um, all right, let me just go through the it's been four games, right? Since Cat has been back, right? Uh of games Cat's played or games? No, no, no. He, the Atlanta Atlanta, yeah. He's played three and there's been four then. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so in in that time, Nas next to Kyle Anderson in fifty-four minutes is minus seventeen. Nas Ooh. next to Jordan McLaughlin in forty-seven minutes is plus twenty. Nas, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> Nas next to Jaden McDaniels in 41 minutes is minus 21. Oh my God, yeah. really? Nas next to Carl Anthony Towns in 37 minutes is plus 14. Nas next to Rudy Gobert also in 37 minutes, though one more game, is minus one. And then, That's amazing. I am really surprised that, that Nas and Rudy are that bad. I wonder when that happened. I think it's been so... The stretches of time that Nas has played uh, with Cat have been longer than the stretches uh-huh. he's played. I remember just the first couple of games I was tracking in, and it was more like when it was Cat, it was an extended stretch with Rudy. It was like two minutes. Then Cat came in for Rudy. So those were a little bit more disjointed, which is my overall theory on making Nas work at the four is you extend it longer, the, the better it is. I, I don't know if that's proof in four games or whatever, uh-huh. but I in my mind, uh, that's what that has been there. I think it's more so that, uh, more so than a time that Nas and Rudy didn't work. It's that there was one really good stretch of Nas and Carl. Uh, I think it was the Golden, I think it was the Golden State game. And that's when Carl was like posting up a little bit more and Nas was in the corner. Right. Had hit Nas a couple times there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they kept flipping four and five on offense. I remember that. Yes, that was actually cool. It it was. Yeah, and and so I mean, the the broader the whatever the grades were, what we say B and A minus something like that, that they are passing grades is right. Right, a wild development given the history of of Nas at the four, and I don't, 
I mean, and it's credit to Nas, and I think he's prepared himself for it. I think John laid that out pretty well uh, in his story on Nas the other day. But uh, it's also, it to me, it's it's so much more about this team having found an identity. The Nas at the four next to either of them only works if and when this team knows what they're trying to do offensively and defensively and actually doing it, right? right. Uh, and they and didn't I, even and have those cups before to fill up. And I think it is significant. Nas needs to be able to flip between the four and the five because he needs to be he what he does best is counteract the matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh he's like Cat, he can be a matchup nightmare if you square him up with the right people. Right. The thing about playing next to Rudy, and I'm, I know I'm contradicting myself now by saying I thought he played better next to Rudy. But uh, now I am remembering that time with Cat, and maybe it's consistent, where he and Cat can flip positions on the court. One can be the, the gunner, and the other guy can be like the, the wheeler dealer on the weak side block. I'm cool with that on offense. I hate it on defense when it's a yeah, cross well, match. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the, but that was the Atlanta game. It was like, okay, started off Nas on a Congo win, Cat's on Garrison Matthews. I'm like, why? Why, why? why is it that? And it would switch no, back and no. forth. Well, and that's it. I was thinking yeah. off. And mm-hmm. the reason I obviously You're not wrong. I, I don't Rudy. think you're wrong. But yeah. there is, if you're, switch, if you're cross-matching, if you're playing different positions on offense, it's easy to then be cross-matched back on defense. And I think that can really allow that pairing to So to surprise, surprise, Nas works a lot better with Rudy on defense and a lot better with Cat on offense. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yes, yes. Kind of related to this. And and I I don't know I literally was I wrote in my notes I was like check your baggage with Brit on this I Uh-oh. struggled with Cat in the game last night and uh, it was I did too. and it was his best game of the season and and I I have baggage with Cat from having watched I'm not like super I don't like hate the guy or anything like right, that right, right. but I think I have a problem in which I see the negative things about Cat more than I see the positives. I, I think I do that. I'm trying not to do that, but uh-huh. I felt myself really doing that last night. I felt I, I, I felt the small things he was doing in over-pursuing a shot block that then led to an offensive rebound and Biombo blocked it, or trying to do a fancy outlet pass that gets stolen, or following Devin Booker on a three, or not right. really knowing what or how to guard Josh Akogi at the four, all of those things to me, I kept putting those in my notes. All the while, Cat is dropping 20 points in the first half. And the reason, offensively, why the Wolves were winning that game or in that game at, at halftime at all. So I don't know. Maybe this is just the the react. We say reacclimating Cat in all the time. I think I need to right. reacclimate to, to what Carl is and what Carl isn't and not overrating either of those things. Either way, I just, I don't know. Maybe it was the Phoenix matchup last night. I hated that he was guarding a Kogi right. uh, and how he guarded a Kogi. Though I don't really know what the a great alternative would have been there either. So I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know if this is a baggage check or not. There are definitely things I agree with you about, and there are some things I disagree with you about. The thing I have disagreed with you about when I read your tweets after the game um is that you believe that Cat needs to be a more 
flexible offensive performer. I am really happy with him being a dynamic catch and shoot guy for quite some time. And, you know, maybe we could fix it later, but I really like, I think catch and shoot threes are going to be there for him oh, yeah. uh, for quite some time. And that is what made, he got a lot of his 20 points the other night just doing that. And if they react to it, space in the interior for slow-mo and Conley. I mean, that's where slow-mo is such a good facilitator is when he's around the nail and Conley, when he's doing, when he gets past the first line of defense and he, everybody knows about his floater, but lately what he's been doing is dribbling again, away from the mid range, but being around in a new spot and finding a guy, I think play creation is a lot better when Cat is standing out there on the perimeter, just ready to bury a three on you, and everybody has to kind of remember that. Mm -hmm. I think that's where his value is. Now, where I agree with you is that Cat himself is, I think, kind of insulted by that whole limitation idea. And he's also insulted by having to guard the likes of Josh Okogie or whatever. I think that Cat... A player deserves to have a lot of confidence in himself, but a player also needs to not only voice that he understands this, but actually understands mm -hmm. that his re-entry into the team is into a different team in which your contributions are different. I thought it was great that Finch gave him the opportunity to win his first game back and then he won his first game back because it gave him a niche oh, yeah. to hang on to. It gave him the narrative. And then when Slomo stole the ball and he was able to do it a second game in a row, I thought, great. Maybe he's learning that if he's just in with the flow and is playing off great setups by his teammates, He's going to be fabulous. Mm -hmm. But I think what it did to him, perhaps, this is what I worry about anyway, is that, hey, I'm beginning to prove that maybe Ant isn't the alpha here after all. You know, maybe after two game-winning plays, people are going to understand that this offense does need to revolve around me. I'm not, you know, I'm putting words and thoughts in his head, so I don't really know if that's really what he thinks. But I thought against Phoenix, he played that way. He played like, hey, you know, if we need to end the 21st half points, certainly stimulated that. Yeah. But again, I think a lot of those points were because he's a great outside shooter. And he's actually a great shooter from all over the place. But if he spaces the floor, then the play creators on the team, who are unconventional play creators like Slomo, uh, can be really effective. But the 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 through line of Cat's offensive success throughout his career always has been the jump shot, right? Right. Um, he's always been an elite three point shooter. Um, that has never varied throughout his career. Throughout the course of his career, he's grown in two other areas as a scorer. Early on in his career, starting with the Thibodeau days as a real back-to-the-basket, post-up center, and he thrived there. Crazy, efficient numbers on the block, posting up. Last helped season, Helped by putbacks. Helped by putbacks. Last season, he really added a pump-and-go 
to an elite level of being able to drive from the perimeter all the way to the rim and and be able to do that. What happened in between there was the Ryan Saunders window of time, which was actually, if you look at Cat's like most successful offensive stretch of his career, it was actually in that time, and they used Cat predominantly at the elbow extended. So it's kind of like a 16-foot post-up outside of the elbow right there, and he could kind of pump and go. He could kind of And that's when he perfected the step back. It, it is. However, these things kind of conflict right now because with Cat, you... You have where he's at right now is he doesn't have the burst to have that pump and go game to the basket that he had last season. I think that'll probably come. That's that makes sense to me after 50 games, but he doesn't really have that. He has had really like one nice one of those in three games. It was the drive on Booker last night. Right. Right. Um, But what he is doing is they're also trying to post him up now and he is not getting position. So as to that's what he did with Tibbs was he was a on the block post up center one dribble left shoulder hook shot right like that was that was his bread and butter he's now allowing himself he's allowing Josh Okogi to push him out to that elbow extended area which Cat is like I'm really good from there I'm really good from there but that is not what that play set is asking him to do they're just trying to feed him a a play right there to be able to left shoulder right shoulder go into a hook shot or if he gets doubled you know, be able to pass out of that. Finch wants him to post up, which always irks me because... It just, uh, if it's going to be a post up, it's got to be in the post. No, no, I get that. Like that, uh, that, is, that is the, the distinction. But, but what I'm saying is, I think this team does just fine on points in the paint, mm-hmm. running the guys who are really good at it. Uh, and Cat can be really good at it, but yet we have to remember also the Cats lost a lot of weight two years running. Mm-hmm. Uh, one to prepare to go off the dribble two years ago, and this year to play some power forward, and so, and also I don't want Cat to put on bulk because again my big worry about him is defense and sure. space. So different times call for different skill sets. The fact that Cat is so malleable because he has yep, so many skills is a positive. But to convince him, and this was always my worry too, is that he would regard being a dynamic 26-point-a-game catch-and-shoot, you know, marksman, you know, like Kawhi almost, you know, except Kawhi would come off. Porzingis. I think Porzingis is the the player there. Yeah, yeah, it is, except Porzingis. Yeah, you're right. And I get Cat wanting to be more than Porzingis because Cat can post up when he's on the block in ways that Porzingis – Absolutely yeah. cannot. And Cat can pump and go drive to the basket, not to levels of Giannis, but like he has some of that in his head down he to the basket game too. So I understand the desire to want to show that you're more than Chris Dabsburg-Zingas because you are, but the thing is... At least could, on offense. Yes, and that's what offense. I'm talking about. The yeah. thing is, is if you could add an ingredient more, I'm with you and agreeing with you that it would be more of the spot shooting like Porzingis does. I just think that given where he's at in terms of his health right now and given what the roster is this season, that seems to be the area where the team would profit most right now. And Absolutely. I think he's and I think he's navigating that right now. I'm not saying this has like been some sort of failure or anything, but I I, I feel when I'm watch have watched these three games, a disconnect between where he's being used, 
where he wants to be used and where the success is coming from. And now, and I think it's you... going to be critical to figure that out as, so as to be able to make the playoffs and win some games in the playoffs. Did you see, I don't know if you were on the uh, Jim Peterson feed or the uh, Doris Burke feed. I actually, well, I re <laughs> I actually did know I was on the game under a I was going to do that, yeah. but I got I tied up. Uh, how is the – which one did you see first? ESPN. Oh, okay. I saw the Jim Peterson, uh, you know, the local feed, and I don't know if the cameras caught it. I guess it would have been ESPN, so they would have caught it anyway. But that long conversation Cat had with Finch after, uh, during a timeout where he was walking off the court and yep. stopped. Mm -hmm. And he talked to Fitch for about four minutes. I would have loved mm -hmm. to know what he was saying because it was detailed and it was a full thought. Hmm. And, and Fitch listened. So it was and, you know, Kat, yeah, I, I think, Kat was the I, one I think, doing the talking. I think it was the suggestion. Hmm. And so, uh, and, and Fitch gave him, you know, the, at least the due diligence of listening to him. I don't know if anything came out of it. Mm. But I do think that Cat, as a $50 million Supermax player, is feeling like, you know, who's called his coach a genius, so therefore he can say whatever he wants to him now, uh, you know, wants to basically tell Finch what he thinks he's good at. And I don't think Finch is opposed to that. I also think Finch is independent enough to ignore it if he needs no, to. No, Finch wants the most advantageous matchup for a given possession. Right. That, that, and, and, and obviously, that's an easier said than done thing. This goes back to the ball movement thing. It comes most right. through ball movement. It comes yes. most for Anthony Edwards, too, of getting it on the second side and, and attacking from the slot. Absolutely. And the same is true for Cat. If Cat, no matter where he catches it, so long as he catches it as the second action, you're probably going to profit there if it's a shot, if it's a drive, if it's a dribble into a back down for a post-up. That's the weird thing about Cat and Ant being your primary offensive, not even close, like far and away your two best offensive options, is that they do their best work as secondary initiators in this, which forces Kyle Anderson and Mike Conley to be the primary initiators in the action, which can work. It doesn't as well when they have the stomach flu. So brought it back to what we were talking about before. That's why I believe in this team too, because I think I believe in it a lot more than I did a month ago, because right. I do believe in the idea that Kyle or Mike or even J-Mac can initiate some and get to Cat or Ant on the second side, because Ant is one-on-one, -on -one, swing the ball, slot, head down, straight line drive. I mean, get out of here. That's, that's, right. that's so tough. And so is Cat against a closing out of defender that's now sprinting out to close out to him. He can, he's a seven footer. He's got a quick shot. He can take that or he can pump and go to the basket. Like that is awesome offense. There's just a pressure because they're your two best players to let Ant bring the ball up or to run delay action and have cat start with it at the top of the key. In other words, to keep them both happy, which yes. is obviously going to be an ongoing issue. Yes. Uh, you know, it was easy when Cat was out with his calf and Ant was dominating the NBA in January to say, well, that, that conversation is over. But it's not over. And it won't be over. Believe me, it will not be over for a long time with Cat if if Cat yeah. is playing well. And again, you don't want to take somebody's belief in themselves, especially when they're like a historically great shooter, away from them. Not at all. And and He's won a couple of games for him since coming back. 
All those things are good things with a bad, you know, call it a, uh, you know, uh, toxic silver lining somehow. But there, there is, I, I don't want to overstate this. It is a great problem to have when you have two alpha scores who are really, really good at it. And you also have a trio of facilitators and a coach who likes to flow. Uh, the problem is, is that both Cat and Ant, in the back of their mind, think at the end of the day, isolation might be the best thing for me. <laughs> I know that's the, like you said. I mean, it's going to be an ongoing thing, and it, it always will. Even even if this team is great uh, a year from now or two years from now, like right, it will be, right. a, it will be a thing too. There will always be this sort of balance to find given the your main personnel uh, that you have on the roster. And I think it's what's going to ultimately determine what the, the overall ceiling of this group is. And it makes total, I'm by no means pushing the alarm button. It's been three games since cat's gotten back. Right. Right. Not at all. I'm just looking at the things that I'm seeing and trying to estimate how long that will take or what shortcuts can they take to get there? And it is going so much better than I thought it would. And the reason is, is that Ant was, had a sprained ankle and, <laughs> and was kind of in a funky before he sprained his ankle. So that Ant didn't have like the flaming glory that he had going into the all-star game. Right. You know, if he had had that, then, you know, then if Finch had given the ball to Cat at the end of that game, you know, right. I mean, not that yeah, I don't think I played that game, but the, you, you get mm -hmm. my point. Right. Is that it? It would have been, oh, we got to start this debate. Well, Paul George did Kawhi and the Clippers a favor, you know, a month or two ago by saying, "Hey, sometimes I got to. I I am now realizing I'm a really good number two. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Paul George has been through some bad injuries and in about four teams. He can say that, you know. Uh, Ant and Cat both don't have enough in their treasure chest and in their war, you know, war wound chest, or, or just enough playoff failures to right, to right. reasonably believe that they can't be the number one. I I, I feel that with Cat too. I mean, he's been there twice, and has it been great? No, but it's it hasn't been to the level where I think if you're a confident player, you think to yourself. You know what? I I just probably can't be a primary guy in the playoffs. I understand Cat thinking that, and he very well might be able to do that. We don't know that yet, and of course, Ant at twenty one years old is going to believe that and should believe that that he can yeah. be the best player in the NBA. Like he has to have that mentality. Those just conflict Absolutely. a little bit. And if you look at Cat's Memphis stats, you know there were some games, especially when they were getting crushed at the end, when Brandon Clark was owning the yeah. boards and stuff. Uh, where Cat didn't look great, but Cat looked really good for a lot of playing time in that six-game series. Yeah. And and you know he played Stephen Adams off the floor, obviously as the first order of business. Mm -hmm. But then in general, the numbers on Cat in that Memphis series are very good. And uh, if I'm Cat, I'm looking at him and I'm going, you know. Tibbs, you got to give me a mulligan because Tibbs basically sidelined me for that series <laughs> because he wanted Derrick Rose to win it all. Right. Uh, and in this second series, I, I played really well, you know? So 
Britt, this is yeah, why yeah. it's so important that they get to the playoffs. Like, and, yes. and do it, you, I mean, that there is real value in that and gathering information that can only be found in those type of settings. Aren't uh, you looking forward to, to McDaniels in the playoffs? Yes. Where they let where they let you guard a little bit better in terms of uh yeah that's good they point. don't call the whistle quite as much dude I'm, I'm just looking forward to this team in the playoffs i think this yeah. is I, I mean as frustrating and up and down as this season has been i'm i'm fascinated to to see what they do i am the most optimistic i've been about this team since since well probably not the, the last exhibition game was a real come down but it was actually when the last exhibition game blended into like a 500 start after the first yeah. three weeks uh and and i began to recalibrate mm -hmm. uh but again cat does not seem to be a total clueless slow guy on defense things have been fixed and there does seem to be some way of having this team be moving without the ball when rudy's on the floor so you know they are figuring it out. And again, you know, I mean, kudos to Chris Finch. Kudos to Rudy Gobert for expanding his game. And kudos to guys like Jade McDaniels and Slomo and Conley for providing so many more options that we didn't have. Yeah, evolving into the gaps is yeah, what exactly. Conley, Anderson, and McDaniels have done. Uh, last thing, really quick. Any thoughts on this Lakers matchup for Friday? I find it kind of... I think they're going to win. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would have them favored. I, I just kind of find it tough. I, the Phoenix one, I, I found it tough to really have an opinion on how it could I, I didn't think they'd beat Phoenix simply because uh, it's too long a time. I mean, yeah, you know. I, I just meant from like I hadn't been able to, literally hadn't been able to see Phoenix yeah. with KD no, or any time recently. And that's right. kind of what it feels. I've watched the last two Lakers games since Bron that Bron's been back for. But I also kind of feel some of that where I don't know exactly what to expect of them because they don't even, you know, they haven't really shown what this last push iteration uh, of them is. So I I really could see it going uh, either way. I'd like to hold on to this optimism that I think is baked in some reality of, of what how we've seen this team change. Though I'm also caught on some of the things from the the Phoenix matchup that kind of are stuck in my craw in terms of right. you know being able to to believe in them, it's going to be a I mean one of the most important games in franchise. I mean regular season game in a long right. long time. I think the 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 big barometer in my view is how well AD plays. Yeah, if Anthony Davis dominates Gobert, uh, then the the Lakers' odds of winning go way up. Mm -hmm. uh, because he is one of the few bigs in the game, I think, that is both talented enough and quick enough yeah. to just embarrass Rudy, even if Rudy's playing well. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the other hand, AD has been known to disappear for strange reasons. <laughs> and if Gobert can help that disappearance by you know backing up his controversial words with a great game or mm -hmm. if that matchup leans even if, if if Rudy holds that matchup to a draw I like I like the chances because uh I just think that I think that this Wolves team has feels really good about itself 
rightfully so. And uh, well, and I guess another X factor is if Nas's wrist is hurt, yeah, uh, then Jalen Noel. I mean, there needs to be somebody on that second unit. Prince, you know, I don't know how he'll be feeling, but second unit scoring has always been another really kind of key X factor for this team. So to the to the AD thing, uh, last three games. Averaging 30 a game, 34 from 40, 34 of 49 from the field. Uh, that matches the eye test of, of what I've been seeing out there. I yeah. mean, this is one of the times where AD looks like he's in one of those uh, yeah. stretches. I, I don't think that in and of itself is enough to beat this Wolves team. I think they are going to need help. I think Braun is going to need to have a, a comfort there. And I think you're going to need the Vando. Rui Hachimura, Beasley's barely playing, but you know maybe him, D'Lo, like what that. Is. I mean, they're they're going to need to have the other players fill in the gaps uh, as well. Davis, well, given what given what Biombo and Okogi accomplished, I thought they were really an underrated part of that win last night. Yeah. Uh, they did a lot of things right, and if Vando could do that too, right, uh, which everybody knows he can, but if 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 Davis is getting the better of Rudy and Vando's on his game, then that team is just too quick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be, I mean, and to a team that has the potential of being too quick, what this team's counter has to be is too physical. Pound it. Yeah. Yep. And and well, this will be the... And, and the whistle happens. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. That's right. right. We're back to the ref as I'm fixing the NBA. We, uh, yeah. We covered a lot here. Um, everyone take a look at uh, Britt's column. On, if you listen to this on Thursday night or if you listen on Friday morning, uh, that column should be uh, up at Min Post, kind of encapsulating what the, the shift in the identity has been while also acknowledging, as is always the case with the Wolves, there's chaos that surrounds everything else. Uh, and right now that chaos is the the refs. I, Yeah, my, my hope though I doubt this is true, that this is the last time we'll have to really care about it uh, in, in a meaningful way. Though I, I, I think I think that narrative has has set hold and uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a bummer. I just want I, I want to have fun uh, watching this team and the rest of the league uh, play playoff basketball the, the rest of the way. So anyways, check out uh, Britt's piece uh, over at Mimpost. You can follow him on Twitter over at Britt Robson on Twitter. Uh, keep April 6th marked on your calendars for the live show at uh, at Falling Knife. Um, I'm not sure exactly what my plan is uh, in terms of recapping the Lakers game. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll do that over the weekend. Uh, otherwise, in Brit, man, Portland sucks. That is going a guaranteed win on Sunday. So even even if they fall to the Lakers, they have a in the bag Blazers tanking, unlike anyone else. We'll see. They, they still got to play in the five afternoon, games. though. Never. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. <laughs> Way to jinx it. Way to jinx it. Well, he's Britt Robson again. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. Uh, until I next talk to you, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.